Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Roses and Rhetoric, number 62. Joining me, our special guest co-host, the no less charming, no less Joe, Joseph Matt. Glad, glad to be back. Um, Joe Stanford, unfortunately, is not able to be with us today. He is uh, fighting an illness. We wish him a speedy recovery. I'm sure that he'll be back on the show next weekend. And um, I'm sure, as always, we'll have uh, many a story to tell. But today is not an episode for stories, Joe. It is an episode for movies. Um, you were off last week off of our show, but... It is my understanding that you had some time to watch a couple of films between now and then. So today will probably be a short episode as we do what you and I do best, which is to uh, spend too much time talking about movies that too few people have ever seen. No, I think this will be <laughs> probably. So, probably. So, Joe, I'm turning over to you when you're ready. Our first movie for discussion. Uh, so the first one I want to talk about today is Belfast, which is uh, shaping up as one of the front runners for the Oscars this year. Um, it's it's definitely in the running for a Best Picture win. It will 100% be nominated for Best Picture, probably a Best Director, a couple acting nods. So this one is going to be up there. I, this is the time of year where I'm always trying to catch everything that's making top 10 lists. It's going to be up for awards. So this is one I was glad to catch. Um, so yeah, the movie's Belfast. It's in theaters right now. It's the only place you can see it as far as I know. Um, it's about a nine-year-old named Buddy and the rest of his working class Belfast family as they navigate the beginnings of the troubles in Northern Ireland and specifically Belfast in 1969. So on the Is It Good front, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Ode to His Childhood and the City He Was Born In is charming and heartfelt but somewhat slight. Um, I think the film's biggest strengths and weaknesses are largely the same, and it's Branagh's choice to really filter it through the perspective of Buddy, which makes sense, because Kenneth Branagh literally was a nine-year-old in 1969 Belfast. So you can see why he does that, and it really helps bring out the charm in the, in the film. Like, it opens up on, like, panning through the street that he lives on, we see Buddy playing. It's a great time. Um, one of the key things, obviously, is Jude Hill, who plays the kid, is really good. It's his feature film debut. Uh, Brana writes him as a real kid, which I think is always important in these situations, where Buddy's just focused on scheming stuff up with his cousin, or really following her schemes, and then getting closer to his crush at school as he is the rising troubles in Northern Ireland. And Hill plays him really naturally. There's none of the preening for cuteness that we sometimes see with kid performers. Like this movie doesn't work if he's not good and he is. The larger problem with this perspective though is it kind of flattens certain situations and characters. Like we don't have a great understanding of what's causing the troubles outside of some people are Catholic, some people are Protestant. There are obviously, if you have any basic knowledge about it, there's a lot, you know, larger issues about England ruling over parts of Ireland or all of Ireland at one point that we don't really get to see touched on. Um, his parents don't really get a lot of, like they get a decent amount of screen time, but I don't think we get an overly great understanding of who they are because of that. Um, I do think the performances by the parents are good. Um, 
Jamie Dornan, probably best known for Fifty Shades of Grey, is uh, much better here than he was there, unsurprisingly. And uh, Katrina Balfe as his mom. She is also known for uh, steaming romances in uh, Outlander. She's oh. great. She's probably going to get an Oscar nomination, and uh, I think it would be deserved. But yeah, I think that part kind of lessens it just because we don't have a full understanding of exactly why this stuff is happening. We only catch kind of like bits and pieces of his parents arguing about whether or not they should stay in Belfast or move to England where his dad has a potential job. Uh, he does a, Brana does a better job of expanding on the grandparents, which are Judy Dench and Kieran Hines, which is just like a casting cue to get the two of those people to play the grandparents in a movie. Um, I don't think people realize how old Judy Dench is. Now. Yeah, she's fucking old. <laughs> she's she literally is Bond. <laughs> fucking killed her a couple of movies ago. <laughs> Probably because they thought she would be dead by now in real life. Yeah, <laughs> the only she, Bond woman to die of natural causes. I'm kidding. She was, of course, shot. But yeah. Anyways, go ahead. three three days ago in real life, she just turned 87. Oh goodness gracious. She's still as sharp as ever. Still very good. Um, Hines, though, I think is probably the highlight overall of the movie. Um, he's 68, so he's actually almost 20 years younger than his wife in the movie, but you don't really know that in the film. Um, Hines is actually a Belfast native, along with Dornan, so we do get some real Northern Ireland guys in this movie. But this is as, as good as I've ever seen Kieran Hines in anything, and he's a good actor. Um, he's going to get nominated. He probably has uh, a decent shot at winning Best Supporting Actor this year. We'll see how it goes. But uh, outside of that, Brana does some interesting things visually. He shoots most of the film in black and white. It opens up in color, showing you modern-day Belfast, then cuts back. And everything in 1969 Belfast is black and white, except when they're going to see like plays or movies which I think is kind of an interesting choice. It tells you that for him, that was always an escape, especially during this time in his life when things started to go upside down, that always you could escape into film. And that's, I think, you know, probably what drove Brana in part to performance. Like we see the whole family watches Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is a nice little moment, especially just watching them all react to the uh, car flying and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is pretty a great cool. movie. <laughs> I great can't movie. say I've ever... I can't oh, remember ever seeing fantastic it. So I'll, movie. I'll take your word for it. Oh, fantastic movie, but yeah. And then the other thing with the uh, kid's perspective, again, where it works and doesn't work is there's two scenes in particular in this film which don't feel real. They feel a little bit removed from reality. That They're extra, like more how he experienced it as a kid versus what would have actually happened. And one of those involves a big moment where it seems like someone could die. And uh, earlier in the movie, they watch a little bit of High Noon. So they use the same music, which is a nice touch. But it just comes off. I want to get into exactly what happens in the scene, but it comes off as a little ridiculous, which is not what you want for a scene where it's supposed to be like lives are on the line. This is Belfast 1969. And then there's another scene where it works, where his dad is singing at this party and his mom's dancing. And, you know, you would imagine that his, like, working class dad can't actually sing <laughs> the way that the character does in this scene. 
but it works just for like bringing out the joy of what these characters are experiencing this movement in this moment the catharsis of it so it really you know i i could go back and forth a little bit on that i do wish he'd expanded a little bit more again specifically on the parents and a little bit on the situation you know i think we've seen other movies um mike what is it mike nichols let me double check here but uh 20th century women is this movie from uh last the last decade i think it was six or seven years ago oh mike mills is the director and Mills has a movie I'm going to try to see in the next couple of weeks with Joaquin Phoenix. Come on, come on. But in that movie, he looks at, you know, kind of his youth to a degree, but it's really more focused on his mom, played by Annette Benning. And I think it's a richer film for the way that he expands on, like, obviously he doesn't know exactly, you know, you can't write word for word what your parents went through. But you can get a vibe, you can kind of expand on it, really look through at the world through their eyes. And I think that can make it a text or a film richer. I think Brana could, if he'd done that successfully, I think this movie deepens a little bit. Uh, overall, though, it's still a good movie. Um, it's definitely one where most people's parents are probably going to love this movie, which is, again, why it's an Oscar frontrunner. Because most Oscar voters are pe- are white people in their 60s. So if you're like us, <laughs> that's, that's the, our parents right there. So... Overall, I'd give it a B plus. Um, some other films to watch in that vein. Again, I love 20th Century Women. I think that's one to check out. Uh, if you want to do a throwback, To Kill a Mockingbird is an interesting one with some similarities. And then uh, more recently, Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I was going to say that. Damn it, Joe, you took my client <laughs> to sound intelligent. I was going to be because Jojo Rabbit was a recently <laughs> the kid, right? So that would have been right. That's another one I feel similarly to this one where but that movie, like, Jojo Rabbit, like was inherently overall. surreal, though, right? I mean, like it was. It, no, it was. It's it's doing a, a di- obviously a different thing. Yeah, okay. Like, it's looking at some similarities. Obviously, as bad as the troubles were, they were not the Holocaust. But right. they weren't that troubled, so to speak. But yeah, looking at everything through a kid's perspective through a very troubling time in the country that they lived in. Like this movie, it's a movie, Jojo Rabbit, I felt mostly worked, but I can't say I was someone who was all in on Jojo Rabbit the way that a lot of people were, including many Oscar voters. I I thought Jojo Rabbit, I um I never quite get this quote right. And I and I think I'm probably putting some words in the in the critic's mouth, but I, I think I can get the gist of it right. There was a movie that came out. Oh, probably over 10 years ago. And it was about, and you probably know more about the movie name. I won't remember it right now, but it was about a German concentration camp guard who was illiterate. And it was like this big secret that she was illiterate. And um, you know what I'm talking about? The writer, something along those lines. Oh, it's, it's the reader, right? The reader. Yes, the reader. Okay. With uh, Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. And I, yeah. So, I saw that movie. I remember reading one of the reviews for it on the Wikipedia page. And it was something to the effect of like, this is kind of a weird story to tell because it's like, when are people going to stop using the Holocaust to tell interesting stories? You know, and it kind of cheapens the Holocaust in some way. And I kind of felt with Jojo Rabbit, it was like, it felt weird. I, I, I kind of had the same reaction to Jojo Rabbit that I had to watching Inglorious Bastards, which was kind of like, it's weird to make the whole event kind of this joke because of course in real life, Hitler wasn't killed. 
and he did i mean he killed himself later on but he wasn't killed in a raid he you know he the world the world continued and the holocaust it, just, it's, it, it felt and kind of with the reader i kind of got the same impression of like why are we using the holocaust to talk about like irony or something you know it just feels kind of removed <laughs> and it kind of the same thing with jojo rabbit where it's like all right it's this funny quirky story but why are we using the holocaust to be quirky <laughs> it's just it's kind of weird to me to be doing that and um yeah i i, I can kind of see it both ways where it's weird but i also i appreciated uh taika waititi's you know kind of take on just like Oh, I, I love. I, mean, I thought it was a good movie. What, but it was, like, it was what should we do like, with fascism? And it's like mock it because it's yeah, it's stupid. Like, well, oh. there is, and, and this is a thing that I that I think is uh, worth remembering is that there is a kind of inherent in any kind of totalitarian. This is why a movie like The Death of Stalin works. Death of Stalin obviously wasn't real. That's not how the events happened. But it was absurd, like the real events, like the events in real life were also absurd. You know, there is in in a way the the uh, character in Jojo Rabbit, the Hitler character, that Hitler wasn't like that, obviously. But Hitler was absurd. I mean, there's there's a craziness to how the people actually were that it makes these crazy motifs work. It's almost like the same side, the different side of the same coin, almost or something along those lines. So I can see it both ways, but I also I get the critics' message. But also with with Jojo Rabbit, one issue I had, which comes up, I think on the same vein of your kind of your your issue with it is that like the sam rockwell alfie allen characters in that movie where it's like these are nazi soldiers but then we're like supposed to kind of like them because they're like kind of good guys who are gamers but like it just felt like there's a lot going on there that just kind of it felt like that was very much just like this is the sort of thing that Taika does. And so it's happening. In That's, and I, I forgot about Michael's character. You're I right. I don't know how much we should be empathizing with a guy who, for however much he might have doubts about their actual cause, still chooses to end so up like fighting in the right. war and is training like Hitler youths. So right. I think that that's kind of where I was like, I, we went and lost the thread a little bit there. But which, if anything, was just a blank contradiction of Western labor practices, right? I mean, my God, child labor. I mean, that's just never whatever. Say what you want about the tenets of uh, of a uh, national socialism, Joe. But working children. I mean, that's, that's goes too far for anybody. I think. No. Um, let's talk about Belfast a little more. So let me let me having not seen the movie. Let me let me offer you a defense of uh or not not a defense but a rebuttal probably too strong a word what if i were to argue that the perspective of the child the kind of innocence about the world around them i think is probably more accurate for the average person than the kind of historical view that you wish they had taken and i and the example i would give you is 9-11 where i think if you were telling the story of 9-11 it would be a mistake to attribute to the average American a deep understanding of the geopolitical events that led to 9-11 happen. Sure. It would be much more like how I would imagine many children saw it, certainly how I felt at the time, and I imagine many people did as well of we were attacked. Yeah. And it wasn't this thing that we put in a kind of historical quote-unquote context. It was an attack that happened. And um, I would imagine, I don't knowing very little about the troubles in, in, in Northern Ireland, I would imagine that for many people, these, these were events that they didn't have a deep understanding of, but that they still had to live through nonetheless. And so there was a kind of 
I don't understand what's happening, but I have to get through. And I think that's how a lot of kids go. But I also think it's how a lot of like, that's how I, as an adult, I mean, I'm 29, hopefully I'm an adult, but that's how I feel about a lot of geopolitical things going on around me as well. Like I, there are things I have to get through. I don't know what causes them or what leads them to happen. I don't have a deep understanding, but there are events nonetheless that we have to make sense of. Is that a side? I mean, is that something that's possible here or am I, uh, my thing? No, I think that's a fair point. I guess. To more narrow down exactly what what I would have liked to see more of. It's not like I want Kenneth Branagh to like give us the overarching like exactly what was causing the troubles and whatnot. I just feel like he like we get again we get snippets of his parents having discussions. Right. We get a, the buddy's cousin, who's a girl who's a couple of years older than him. She seems to have like hints of like being more like there's a teams here like his parents are very open about like there's not teams like our neighbors who are catholic because they're mm-hmm. a Protestant family like they're our neighbors there's nothing wrong with them being catholic but like his cousin kind of definitely is more involved in like the idea of like oh the protestants are kind of and it's not like she's espousing like hate speech to him or something but it's it's more along the lines of like she wants to feel involved in other things, and then she's kind of pulling him along on certain stuff, mm-hmm. and they never really get overly involved in anything. But it's like, all right, if she feels this way, then I feel like her parents probably have somewhat of these feelings, mm-hmm. and we never see them. What if hit we you know just have a scene where like his parents have a discussion with like whichever one of them who's you know sibling is this cousin who you know. Obviously, they're related to her parents. Right, that's right. His cousin. Right. So just getting more of a dynamic beyond, like, most of the neighborhood is chill, but you have, you know, these kind of, like, outside angry Protestant guys who are wrecking havoc. I just feel like it would have been more interesting to see some of that divide. And I think it also would have given you more of an idea of, like, why there was this push. In, like, we see why they want to stay to a degree this is their home but also some of the reasons why they want to leave beyond just there's trouble no i think it's more there's more drama to part of your family sees this differently than you do which maybe that's not really true to Kenneth Branagh's experience so i don't think he should have necessarily had to force things in there but we would have had a better idea if the world of his parents was expanded on a little bit you mentioned in the review working class. Now, I, again, know nothing of the trouble. So if this makes me sound like an idiot, then I, you know, <laughs> I am. But I mean, does, what, was, there a, was there a class element to the troubles? And then the, does them being working class contribute to, you know, the, the side or how they viewed the conflict taking place? Um, even, I also, even, even just in the yeah. film, even just in the film, does them being working class have consequences for them than if they were, you know, poor or wealthier or whatever? Um, so far as the actual divisions within the Troubles, as far as I know, there was not any heavy class element. There might have been. I'm not you know, an expert either. I know the basics of it. Um, I do think that like having your neighborhood get attacked was probably more relevant to working class people during the Troubles than most wealthier people. Is that, you know, you probably, if you were in a wealthier neighborhood, you're probably less likely to see your neighbor's house set on fire or something or stuff thrown through their window. Yeah, or you were able to move easier because you had money to leave. Yeah. 
Um, I start, but it, it definitely their being working class does play into the film because the the dad has some sort of financial troubles about like paying off, I believe, a uh, old tax debt, and that's all. Also, but that's a part of his reasoning for also wanting to leave is because his job—he's actually going back and forth between England and Ireland, and for his job, and he has the potential to just stay over there and get a better-paying job. And so that does play into whether or not they're going to leave Belfast, which is one of the key points of the film. So it does. So it does play into their story. I'm not sure that it overly plays into how the troubles happen, but again, you know, I broader. I know, yeah. I know the very, very basics of the troubles. I could not tell you. I could not give you a deep breakdown of it. Um, so you describe the black and white with hints of color every now and then. Of course, a film technique made famous by Sin City. No, I'm talking about Schiller. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see, I've also have seen movies. No, did you did you find that kind of thing? Was it was it distracting, or you know, did it? Did you think it played well in the in the film, the cinematography of doing the no, color? I, I definitely appreciated it because yeah, because again, I think you know, if if he shoots it all in color, if he shoots everything in black and white, I don't think we get the sense of exactly what that entertainment as an escape meant. For for his family, but particularly to Buddy, and you know, by you know, the, then we can look at that as obviously Buddy is kind of a stand-in for Kenneth Branagh. So I think that that does a good job of illuminate, you know, kind of literally illuminating what that meant for him. So I thought that was really effective. You know, again, I think this is a well-made movie. I I just kind of wanted more from it. Again, like it's good. I would recommend it. I'd say you know, again, go see it, especially if you want to take your parents to something. But, you know, I, when a movie gets, you know, kind of the hype of like, this could be the Oscar winner, I always want it to be great. You know, I'd say probably 30 or 40 percent of the time it is. And then the rest of the time, I'm usually in this boat where I'm like, this is a good movie. If it wins stuff, I'm not angry. I'm just not excited. Well, you mentioned you mentioned child actors, and I feel like the. Um... It's, I, I, th- I think it's very hard. Well, I, I didn't want to say that. I think we, we all have seen movies with child actors that were not great. I was, I was, I was yeah, like sure. that. We've all seen that. And, um, but it sounds like in this movie, the younger actors did quite well. It doesn't seem like yeah. they, they, were, they were phenomenal performances. And so do you think they, I didn't, I maybe said earlier on in the review, do you think the, uh, the kid actors, the child actors are going to be nominees for the Oscars as well? My guess would be no. Um, Buddy is really the only kind of role with real meat to it. He's he's got an older brother, but he doesn't get a whole lot to do in the film. Um, His cousin is kind of more of a comedic element for the most part. And then I'd say, you know, the only other, he doesn't really have actually, now that I think about it, like a best friend he's hanging out with a lot of the time or anything like that. So he's also got the crush. But, you know, she's mostly just, you know, the crush that he's trying to sit to. Like the, one of the things that's going on is the teacher, based on the grades in the class, the kids with the best grades are sitting closest to her, and the kids with the worst grades are sitting furthest away, which to me seems like not a good thing to do as a teacher. Having worked at schools and some basic knowledge of how kids do based on where you sit them. But uh, 
so this, his crush is like very smart and sitting towards the front of the class and so he's trying to work his way up to the front of the class oh. which, which is his grandfather gives him some advice on that which is like if you write messy with your math your teacher might give you the benefit of the doubt on some of the numbers uh, that's a good point which is good advice yeah solid <laughs> advice but uh, yeah, so I would say, you know, no one else really has enough to do. And I guess they could push for him in a supporting role because for whatever reason, it seems like that's something you can do, especially with child actors, is you can be like, this kid's clearly the lead of this movie, but we'll just say they're supporting and they get them listen okay. to that. Like uh, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit, I believe she was supporting actress, even though she's the main character of True Grit, stuff like that. But again, oh, I think... I think in this, because of the way it's going to break down, again, I think they're going to push Kieran Hines as the clear standout for best supporting actor in this film. So I, I think most of the energy along the lines will be going for him and then Katrina Balfe for supporting actress. So I don't think he'll get nominated Jude Hill, but he is very good in this movie. So, you know, hopefully he continues to do well i know he's got a few other projects lined up so we'll see what happens with him i always like and when movies when they're kind of on the backdrop of a much more serious event show these like little trinkets of personality so like in the background of the troubles you have this kid like i gotta get this girl to like me though and it's just i always like things like that because that's in real life that's what happens you have these horrible events happening but life goes on like there's this great documentary about these people in the Holocaust uh, and the concentration camps who were like carrying on an affair. And it was like, Hey, like that's, that's the way it works. It's even in the concentration camp. It's like, well, I love finds a way. And uh, you know, it's always good. Right. To see little... have to find a way to survive, right? Yeah. It's uh, life is fractal and it's always complex no matter how, uh, no matter what scale you look at. Um, this sounds like a good movie. I, is it's in theaters right now? There's actually a decent chance I might be seeing it. I'll be visiting my uh, in-laws over over winter break, and they're big movie buffs, and so uh, it's probably will be one that we will go see. But I have to see Matrix Resurrections. That's what I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. <laughs> First and foremost, I have to see it. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for it. Um, I love the first Matrix, like everybody else. The other two, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, it's fine. But I'm I, this I one like is, is I like Reloaded a lot. The freeway scene in that is, I think, the highlight action-wise of the, that entire trilogy. Yes. Um, Resurrection. Or, is this one Resurrections? Or no, you're thinking, well, Revolution was the third one. Revolutions. Yeah. Re- Revolutions, not, not so much. Yeah, that one was not. You know, it's, <laughs> basically, the, the less time you spend in the Matrix, in the Matrix, the worse the movie gets. And then I think Revelations, is, you know, they have all those fighting outside and uh, Zion is like, yeah, it's not so good. It's not so good. Um, well, Joe, any other movies that you've, that you've seen you want to touch base on? So, uh, oddly enough, this year seems to be heavy on the films, either using black and white completely or just utilizing it for parts. And uh, another one of those was The French Dispatch, which is the new Wes Anderson movie. Oh, I want to see this one. Okay, good. So tell me about it. The French Dispatch. Uh, okay, yeah. So this is the perfect example of a trailer where you watch the trailer and you think, what the hell don't is know what's going on. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Now, I'll see anything with Bill Murray in it. I'm a, I'm a big Bill Murray fan. So, I mean, obviously, I'm going to see this one too. And I also love the director. But, but yeah, I saw the trailer. And my, my wife and I were like, what the hell is that movie? What, what, what is the plot? We have no idea. Um, so 
it's kind of built around the idea that Bill Murray is this uh, editor of the French Dispatch, which uh, I guess his character is uh, based on the uh, co-founder of the New Yorker. But uh, so really, we, we kind of get an opening with him and a closing with him and the rest of the uh, his writers and stuff. But the heart of the film is three different vignettes, which are about articles written for his magazine or periodical. And so you get one, which is about an uh, incarcerated artist played by Benicio Del Toro, where he's in prison and he has this kind of weird relationship with a guard played by Leah Sugot, where they'll sleep together and he'll paint her but it's all very his paintings are all very abstract and then uh, adrian brody is this other prisoner in on ta- like tax evasion but he's an art dealer sees the painting and then once he gets out he's st- like he's he buys the painting for like two, i think it's like two hundred and fifty thousand francs some huge amount and uh del toro's in prison for like another i don't know 10 years or something because he murdered two guys in a bar like decapitated them Pun and so he's <laughs> exactly and so he's in prison adrian brody is, gets out and he starts kind of like building him up in the art world and so he's become this sensation and so that kind of follows them along and then tilda swinton is kind of narrating it for us as she's giving a presentation in some auditorium and then she also is you know writing about this for bill murray um i think that one was good uh, i kind of felt like it was the slightest of the well i got the first two are a little slighter than the third one i think but that was probably my least favorite i still liked it i'm a big wes anderson person though like this is very much a movie where if you like wes anderson you'll probably like the movie and if okay, you've yeah. not bought it on wes anderson this is probably not the one to jump into who doesn't like wes anderson um I mean, there's people out there. I'm not. Oh, I'm not friends know. with them, but that they exist. Be with them either. My goodness. Uh, the, the second one, which I thought was the funniest one, is uh, Francis McDormand's uh, journalist following these student revolutionaries, and uh, Timothy Chalamet is kind of one of, of the leaders of the re- of the revolution, and he's like writing a manifesto that she then proofreads because they also start sleeping together. Um, and then he also is like playing, I don't know, like the dean or something in chess. And then later he's playing the mayor in chess. And there's there's this great bit where like they're playing in chess, but like they're playing it because there's like a barricade. They're having to like announce their moves across the barricade. Oh, and then so eventually, it's spot it's chess. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. And so eventually, though, there's conflict within. Naturally, of course, there's conflict within the student body about you know, what they want to do and blah blah blah. And so the uh, mayor declares uh, a forfeit by them and tear gases them. So <laughs> Jesus, that one is super ridiculous. I thought it's like there was bits in that I laughed harder at that than like anything I've seen this year. And then the last one is uh, Jeffrey Wright is a food journalist who's going to a a dinner with the police chief because there's this police uh, chef who's supposed to be amazing. But during the course of the meal, the police chief's son gets kidnapped by Ed Norton and some other Norton Wells. 
And so there's this whole hostage situation and a chase. And uh, that, that one is also fantastic. And actually, d- despite all the uh, ridiculousness of it, that's the one that I think kind of has more of a, a beating heart to it. There's a little bit of emotion there. But so th- those three take up the vast majority of the film. Um, I just thought it was, in general, a great time. Um, this is definitely in the running for one of my top 10 movies of the year. I'd, I'd say this one's like an A- minus for me. Yes, good. I love Wes Anderson. I want to decide when I, I when, when you first see the opening of the trailer, like in the first five seconds, you're like, oh, good, it's going to be a Wes Anderson movie. And then, like, sure enough, it like it just you know is because it's just so distinct. I was like, oh, good, I get I get to see him again. So I mean, I'm yeah, and, and again, this I, I guess I really just went over the plot with that. Uh, he goes back and forth between black and white and color. I'd have to watch it again to really see like. Is it only in theaters, or is it also on? That is, as far as I know, it's also only in theaters. I know it came out earlier than Belfast, though, so it's probably winding down in a lot of places, and maybe it'll be on demand to like rent or something soon here. Although some of these movies on Amazon, you can pay like twenty bucks, so I don't know if these ones are <laughs> fall into that. But uh, yeah, the, uh, just a stacked cast all around. Um, I mentioned a number of the major actors. Um, Christoph Waltz shows up for like 10 seconds. Um, you've got Liev Schreiber also shows up for oh, like really? five, five lines. Uh, Saoirse Ronan, who's now like a three or four time Oscar nominee. She's just a, a prostitute or sex worker that is there around the kidnapping. She has a really small part. Uh, yeah, Henry Winkler, Bob Balaban. There's just a, a bunch of people, and in the newsroom, which again doesn't take up that much time in this movie, you got Elizabeth Moss, Jason Schwartzman, and Jelka Houston. Um, Owen Wilson does give you a brief overview of the like town that they're in. Oh, okay, good. As like a piece, which is fun. So stacked cast, the you know classic Wes Anderson humor. Um, you know some of the. Uh, I feel like he did this in. Um, Shoot, why am I blanking on Grand Budapest? Uh, where right. and that scene where it like cuts away from like reality to like I can't remember. There's like a skiing scene in that where like Willem Dafoe's chasing after them, where it's no longer filmed like live action. And so this one also has a car chase where it becomes animated. And oh, so I see. Just, right, right. I see what you're saying. Which again, I, again, this is just a movie where if you like Wes Anderson, you're gonna like right. the movie. So right, I, I really love Wes bad. Anderson. So yeah, I I agree. I love Wes Anderson too. But like, it would be really bad if like Wes Anderson was like, I'm gonna make a movie about the Rwandan genocide. You'd be like, that's eh, not <laughs> that's not what you should be making. You know, because it'd be like some weird goofy like you know murdering scene or something. You'd be like, eh, I don't. Right, like, like we said, like we we mostly liked Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, but it's we a little bit bits like, of it. We're like, all right, Taika, maybe rein it in. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't think Wes Anderson yeah. should. Uh, he's but, he's good at fa- family dynamics. You can do some drama with Wes Anderson. I don't know that he should do overarching things about. Yeah, I feel like he could do a big Cold War movie or something, where there was like all these like you know crazy ideas at the time. You know, I think that, I think that would be a good movie for, I, for him. I could see him doing something along like those some lines. like stupid spy movie or something. Where you know, I think that could be good for him. Something. Something right, well, like watch. you, like you mentioned, um, we got the death of Stalin. Oh, right, um, yeah, like that movie. Like he, like that could be 
Wes Anderson-esque. Not really in the same, you know, fuzz. Right, it would way, be, but right, it'd be less anyway. swearing, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be like, and, a, and, a, and a lot more yellow. It's yes. the usual color palette, but. But yeah, so that was when I saw, and then uh, one that every, everyone can see and is uh, not an Oscar running, but still very, very fun is The Harder They Fall on Netflix, which was uh, James Samuel, the writer-director. It's basically just, he took every kind of like major or semi-major like black person who existed, well, actually existed in like the, the old West. And then he's just like, I'm putting them all in a movie where they try to murder each other. And so on the, on the one hand, you've got this outlaw gang. And you know, like none of this is like, like the characters are real. It's extremely fictionalized. No one should watch this movie and think that they actually know things about who these people were. But like, the Western, Elvis, they're all black. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's Idris Elba is the villain. Um, again, the, the real life guy he's playing was hung at 19 years old. So, and Idris Elba, both in real life and in this movie, is clearly playing someone in their, like, late 40s. Right. So, again, not not historically accurate. Most of these people never interacted, but all of the bad guys were real-life criminals. All of the good guys, even though a lot of them are portrayed as, like, semi-criminal in this movie, they were not criminals in real life. Although one of them was involved in a... Native American genocide, but that's a it's <laughs> a whole other yeah, thing to talk about. Joe, I, I, at the time, that wasn't a crime, so that's that's different. That's a, it's a different category. But uh, I mean, he just cast this movie fantastically with a lot of you know the best black actors working today. Uh, Jonathan Majors, who's really kind of had a meteoric rise the last couple of years, is the uh, main character who's trying to get revenge on Idris for killing his father. Um, so Jonathan Majors, in case people don't know, uh, I first saw him in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I highly recommend. That's one of my favorite movies. That's probably my favorite movie that came out in the last three years. Um, Wait, really? He's the standout performance in that. Yeah. Why haven't you told us about it on this fucking channel? <laughs> I've mostly been trying to get newer movies out. So God, over you're talking years. about whatever, what movie, The Eternals. You're talking about... So I'm trying to keep it relevant to what people are watching right now. But last Black Man San Francisco, I might cover it once we get into like February where all all only trash movies are coming out. Maybe I'll go back and cover that one. But he's fantastic in that. Um, He had a pretty big role in The Five Bloods, which was a Spike Lee's movie from last year. Um, Lovecraft Country, he was the main character. And then... uh, Okay, so then I know who he is. He is now set up as the uh, primary villain going forward in the MCU. Which, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Loki, guys, but he shows up in the last episode of Loki, and he will what about to, to show up. Does he show up in the new Spider-Man movie that just came out? Um, so far as I know, he does not. But, again, you know, who knows about those end credit scenes. Oh, that's true. Uh, he, he will be in the new Ant-Man movie. We do know that for sure. Oh, they're still making Ant-Man <laughs> They're still got the third one coming Baby, oh, Jonathan man. Majors, an incredible actor. He does a good job in this movie. Um, he and Elba have a scene towards the end of this movie that kind of shakes up what we thought about some of the earlier actions in the film. And uh, I think it's one of the highlights of the movie because it really takes it away from just trying to do like 
the end showdown is all about action and it makes it more of a emotional thing that very much relies on the two of them being good actors and they knock it out of the park um zazzy beats from atlanta and also the imaginary girlfriend in joker um she's the love interest she plays mary fields who was in real life the uh one of the first post women in the in the country the first black one and uh notorious for delivering the mail on time in montana which was a challenge back then oh but, uh, she gets cut to showdown with regina king who plays trudy smith who's kind of the right-hand woman of idris in this movie uh one of the great things that james samuel the writer director does in this movie is he really kind of gives every actor at least one big scene where they mm. get to you know kind of chew into it and really get something out of it king not surprisingly does the best out of anyone in this movie with that probably because i think as good as everyone in this movie is in general i think she's the best actor in this movie um she has one where she describes kind of her start out as a murderer and why it happened and that's the highlight of the film she's fantastic lakeith stanfield again also from atlanta he's great um there's a good dynamic with him where he and this other character, who's one of the good guys, played by R.J. Seiler, they kind of have this thing about which one of them is the quicker draw. Mm. And um, I, I think it gets paid off pretty well from a character standpoint in how that goes down and what happens to each character as this movie goes on. But yeah, just it, it's a good time. It is a little long. I, I would say this movie didn't need to be like two hours and 19 minutes, which running theme for a lot of movies this this time this, just now in general granted you know like we just said the Eternals and every MCU movie seems to be going at least 10 minutes oh. too long this one goes a little too long um, it's probably most cinematically it feels very Tarantino-esque with some of the stuff it does um, one key difference though between this movie and say Django Unchained is no one ever says the n-word in this movie one character almost does it, and uh, things end for that guy the way you'd expect in a movie where the majority of the characters are black people with guns. So, <laughs> so it, yeah, it's a Tarantino-esque, but with filtered through an actual black perspective as opposed to, as opposed to you know, a white guy who right. I was, as a, a, a great writer who maybe falls in love with a word that he shouldn't fall in love with so hard um oh and i forgot to mention delroy lindo Fair. is also uh, fantastic in this movie uh, I, okay good and that's on netflix yeah that one's on netflix and a uh, f- fun little thing for that is uh delroy lindo i'm blanking on the character he plays in this movie for some reason i gotta find the character one second here because it has a tie into Watchmen in a, in a way. Because oh right, Virginia King played in Watchmen, right? She was uh... right. He's playing Bass Reeves, who was the first U.S. Mar- black U.S. marshal. And if people remember from the show Watchmen, it opens up with a character watching a story about Bass Reeves in a movie theater. And so it's just kind of this interesting. You know, it doesn't actually matter for either of those, but it's just an interesting dynamic that. Bass Reeves also shows up the, in this as does Regina King. So 
hopefully one day we'll actually just get a movie entirely about Bass Reeves because uh, if you just read his Wikipedia entry, you could uh, also, he had to chase down his own son for murder at one point in his life. Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, the guy lived one hell of his life, one hell of a life. He uh, never was wounded throughout his career, although he had his belt shot off at one point, which I don't even understand how that happens and you don't get shot. But so yeah, give us a Bass Reeves movie, somebody in Hollywood, please. Wes Anderson. Uh, but yeah, the harder they fall, I'd say it's a solid B. It's an enjoyable movie, even if it's a little bit too long. But if you just want to watch a bunch of good actors shoot each other up in the old west, I mean, it's a good time. I like it. That, so, and that one's on Netflix, so that probably is more accessible for people. Um, yeah, pretty much anyone can watch it. If you don't have a Netflix account, what are you doing? Share it <laughs> yeah. with someone. This isn't hard. Oh, yes. Let's advocate that on our channel. Thank you, Joe. And uh, that's <laughs> Netflix sponsorship. No. They know. They know. <laughs> um, they wouldn't let you watch on 10 screens if you're right. The, like, exactly. 4K yeah. version. So, yeah. That's, uh, that is a good point. Um, briefly, because we're going to wrap up soon, I'm going to ask yeah. you about a movie. So, I remember... One of the early on, Joe, when we first had you on, I, I, I told you my my pick for what I thought a perfect movie was The Master with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and oh, yeah, yeah. Seymour Hoffman. Remember that back way back in the day, probably several months ago. Uh, I, I do remember that one. Um, I, I, I think I feel the same way about Synecdoche, New York. Oh, I have actually never seen Oh, yeah, okay. so that can be your homework assignment. Which I, de I definitely need to. Um, are, on a note, though, are you, are you uh, excited for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie? Okay, I am, remind me of the name of it, because I know what you're, what you're talking about. So it's, uh, it's Licorice Pizza. And yes, actually, yes, right. The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one of the two main characters is played by Cooper Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Yes, so no, I, I, I'm definitely going to see it. Because Paul Thomas Anderson is uh, certainly among my favorite current working directors, and um, I think he's a master of the craft. And I, you know, I, I definitely will. I, I definitely will see it. And um, and I also will see the new Wes Anderson movie that we just talked about because I I also love Wes Anderson. Are they related? As, as far as I know, they are not. I didn't think so. Maybe their names are spelled the same way. Who knows? Who knows? Joe, I'm only an amateur at this. I'm just trying to keep up with it. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, only, I'm only here for, for witty commentary and interesting positions. So, I mean, that's, that's all that I provide. I mean, it, it's an important role. So, well, it's, 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 it's what I'm, it's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> um, okay, good. Well, everybody, that was three, three movies for crying out loud. I mean, what, what more can you ask of, of, of Joe Matz, he, he gave he gave us three movies that we can all go watch, um, and uh, I I probably will see at least one of them between now and the next time you and I talk, or maybe maybe not by then, but probably in the next two weeks I'll probably will will see one of those. Probably Belfast if I had to guess, um, but yeah that that'll be exciting. This will be this will be good. Um, and then yeah, Joe, your homework is to watch Synecdoche, New York. Um, okay. And, um, and what else? What else? What other movies do I want to see? I told you I'm going to see Matrix uh, Resurrections. 
obviously. Um, I almost saw the new Resident Evil because I, I'm a fan of the film frame. Uh, the video oh, game. I, I think uh, Sam, for people who don't know, my brother Sam, I believe he just saw that movie. Oh, he good. was at least toying with seeing it uh, last Friday. So that was that was the. Let time. us know. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have him on. <laughs> um, what else, Joe? What else can I tell you? No, I think I, I think that will do it, folks. Three movies that you can all go watch. So I think you basically gave them all good reviews. I. I B B ish. B, B plus and A minus, which which again, I think you know, depending on your perspective, you know, again, if you like Wes Anderson, French Dispatch is clearly the one I would most recommend. Um, Belfast, definitely the one to take your parents to. And then yeah, if you're just looking for a more relaxing watch people shoot at each other, throw on the harder they fall. All right, everybody. Well, Joe. Another pleasant episode, uh, a lot of fun as always. And of course, you can check out Joe Maz. He doesn't just talk on our podcast. He's also on Spotify. We're talking, amongst other things, he is your fantasy football go-to guy. Um, and then also on Twitter, at Joe E. Matt. You can follow him there. And he also has, do you still have the Winter Soldier podcast, or is that now finished? Are they still making episodes of that? They're not still making episodes of that. Right now, what they're doing, uh, the Hawkeye show, is the, which I'm not covering on any podcast, okay. but uh, okay. that is the current uh, MCU TV show. Very good. Well, Fantasy Football nonetheless, and of course, you can check out Joe Matz on Twitter and also find him here regularly. Uh, and of course, follow us at Roses underscore Rhetoric on Twitter and Instagram. And Joe Stanford, who cannot be here today, but I'm sure we'll be back next week. Find him at Jose4 underscore Squarepo on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Hackett signing off for Joe saying ciao.